Hi, I'm Patricia Smith, founder of the Compassion Fatigue Awareness Project and author of a number of books on the subject, and you're listening to the Animal Academy Podcast. Thank you for being here. Welcome to the Animal Academy Podcast. I'm Allison White, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker who specializes in the human-animal connection. This podcast will showcase professionals who share their areas of expertise in an ongoing series of interviews, and you are there. Their input, stories, and knowledge will help us all understand that we are the ones that actually end up learning from the animals. This is the Animal Academy Podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Animal Academy Podcast. One of the reasons I started this podcast is because I enjoy talking with people, hearing their unique stories, and learning more about what brings them enjoyment, excitement, and really, how they show up in the world. I don't know if my guest today knows how many people have appreciated the things he does for them, but after hearing his name come up in conversations, I thought, this is a person I'd like to learn more about. So, I'd like to introduce David Frasca. David, welcome to this episode of the Animal Academy podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, I have been looking forward to this conversation with you, David. In the past, I asked another guest her age. I don't normally ask people their age, by the way, but I think it's really motivating to hear from young adults. Do you mind sharing how old you are? I am 16 years old as of March 29th. (laughs) That's awesome. Thank you for that. Tell me a little bit about your first animals and what made you decide to train dogs. Well, my family has had animals since long before I was born. We mainly just have dogs. We started out with a dog and a cat, and we pretty much transitioned just to dogs. But when my when my mom started showing and practicing in dog agility, that's when I tagged along one time and got interested. And how old were you then? I was about five or six. You're five. Okay. I bet that was fun to tag along, or did you actually practice doing it then? I believe the first time I was interested, I kind of sat there and watched for a while, then I'm like, hey, that was kind of fun. I tried it out, and I'm like, okay, this is actually fun. Yeah, awesome. What kind of dogs did you have? Well, when we first started, we just had golden retrievers, and I kind of branched out to I now have a border collie. What made you decide that you actually wanted to train and then show them? When I first started getting interested in it, I guess I started doing well, and Karen Winter started my agility trainer. She started seeing something in me and decided to keep training me, and I said, okay, this is fun. I can keep doing this and whatnot, and I just kept going, and it's like, okay, started showing. And how long have you shown dogs? I've shown dogs for about 10 years, 9 or 10 years. Okay, that's a long time. So when other kids are busy doing other kid things, you enjoyed training your dogs and then going to dog shows? Yeah. Took up a lot of weekends, but I still enjoyed it. I mean, there were other things, like there were some other sports that I kind of tried out. Like I tried out about that baseball, basketball, that stuff, and dog shows is what I stuck with. You know, I have a lot of friends who had small kids that would always come to the dog shows with them, and they always seemed to have a lot of fun. And then they also grew up going to dog shows and traveling, and it opens up a whole other world. Yes, it really does. 
As a young adult, I know it's important to have your family support and encourage you. Sounds like you had that. Yes. Like I said, my mom started in it first, and she stuck with it, and I stuck with it, so that definitely helped there. My dad doesn't do it, but he supports it. He loves to he loves to watch. My brothers, one of them kind of does it like when he's home because he's in college right now. Every now and then he'll happen to be home on a weekend when we have a dog show and we say, here, take this dog and have some fun. Mm-hmm. So it takes a long time and perseverance to raise, train, and show dogs. Has that been a challenge while you've been in school at the same time? It hasn't been much of a challenge, mainly with making sure I do both because if I get my homework done first and then I work on the dogs sometimes, I get my schoolwork done and I'm like, I don't really want to train the dogs. I don't have the energy to. I don't feel like it. And then I regret it the next day. So I know you train other people's dogs as well to help them out. What breed of dogs do you show for other people? Well, I have shown standard Schnauzers for Karen Rolfing. I don't know if you know her. She She used to uh, be my obedience instructor. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've learned some things from her, definitely. Yeah, I've run her standard Schnauzers before. I've run Border Collies for other people, Golden Retrievers. I've run Australian Shepherds, Shetland Sheepdogs, a little bit of everything. There's a big difference in all those breeds of dogs. How do you manage to know what is typical for what breed of dog? Like herding a Sheltie, they have their own kind of unique running style because it's a herding dog. And then you go to a sporting dog like the Golden Retriever, and they run very differently. How do you adapt your style depending on what dog you you run? I just kind of realized how to run each dog through experience. You know, like I said, I've been doing this a few years. Mm-hmm. And you notice the Goldens are kind of more happy to run, doing whatever, listening to you, but they're happy to run. The Border Collies, Shelties, the herding dogs are kind of a little more paying attention to you. Now, granted, the Golden Retrievers pay attention to you, but the herding dogs are a little more focused and working. As much as, yes, there are different dogs, you all run them, you, you run them all slightly differently. There's a lot of similarities in what you can do. So take the Border Collie, for example. Are you able to work away from the Border Collie? Because they're just so fast. It's hard to keep up with them. Uh, yes, I I do work some distance with my dogs. I try to apply it where I can and where I need it, like you said, and they're fast. Even with the Goldens, I've done some distance, or even some of the Goldens aren't quite border collie fast because they just don't have the physical ability to, but some Goldens are very fast, and mm-hmm. I've actually run a fast Golden before. Mm-hmm. And so they have to learn to work at a distance because there's no way you're going to be able to keep up with them in the ring. Yes, you do have to build it up over time. You know, you start with, you're going by the jump, and then you start sending them from, like, a foot away, two feet away, or even maybe you might have to go a foot, a foot and a half, two feet. It all depends on each dog how well they realize mm-hmm. that you you can be away from them while sending them to a jump. Mm-hmm. Well, David, in 2019, you went to the American Kennel Club Invitational with a standard schnauzer. Please tell the audience, how were you selected to attend the Invitational? What was that experience like? Well, to be selected, you have to be 
in the master classes to begin with, but they do it based on July 1st of, so for 2019, it would have been July 1st of 2018 to June 30th of 2019. And throughout that time period, they do it on a point-based system. Uh, I wouldn't quote me on this, but if I remember correctly, you get one point towards this agility imitational qualification point for every mock point you get in a run. And then you also get, I believe, 20 for getting of this imitational points for a double Q qualifying and jumpers and standard on the same day. It was, she was number one for a while, and then closer to the end of the qualifying period for that year, she came in season. So she didn't run for like three weeks, four weeks. So that knocks you out of training two. too, doesn't it? Yeah, it does change training. Some of them have a lot of issues running in pants. Mm-hmm. Some of them you have to work in pants a little bit less than others because it's not worth fighting the pants because they're ne- never going to show in pants. Mm-hmm. Now, when you mean running in pants, it's when a uh, female comes in season, they run in pants, yeah. which also changes, you know, because of the hormone changes, they run a little bit differently as well. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. They also train a little differently in obedience. Their their attitudes are definitely different. Mm-hmm. So, David, if you look at all the sports, because I'm looking at your background, and you've done, you just put a utility title on your border collie, it looks like, right? Yes. And congratulations. Thank you. And it looks like you're going to be getting a rally championship with a golden retriever? Yes, she is very close. I believe she needs, we calculated recently, like 48 master points. Okay. And besides that, you've put multiple mocks, which is the agility championship, on different breeds? Correct. I put it on the standard schnauzer I got to invitationals with. I put a mock on my golden retriever. I put a hawk, which is preferred agility champion, because for whatever reason, you you don't have to have a reason to, but in agility, you can drop your dog height four inches mm-hmm. if you feel they need to jump lower, and they just call it a pot, a preferred agility champion. Mm-hmm. Same concept and how you get them, except they're called pot points instead. And so, yeah, I put that on eighth, as we talked about earlier. I think there's another, oh, I also have another border collie. I put a, a mock, maybe two on, I don't remember for sure. Those are those are a lot of accomplishments right there, David. That's impressive. Thank you. So after thinking about all those uh, different venues, different performance events, which was your favorite? Or do you have a favorite? Maybe that's not even fair for me to ask you that. Maybe it's more well, memorable. How about that? Honestly, I'd have to say the Florida venue in some respects because I could argue it's the Florida venue with the invitationals and they also have the junior the junior show up there. And then there's also Madison Square Garden, which is where I first ran ace and got lost mm-hmm. on my first time trying it. Mm-hmm. Like there are definitely ways to point either, definitely reasons to go either way because at invitationals, when I ran the junior portion of it with some of the dogs, I had sent a dog into a tunnel one time, and 
I am ready for him to come out. I'm calling him, and all of a sudden, I don't have a dog coming out of the tunnel. <laughs> I move over a little bit. I see in one end of the tunnel, the dog's rolling. Oh, goodness. There was the first time I went down with Hayes. I had, it was kind of a bad year all around, I think, because there were other issues that happened. Well, I had gotten like a small cold, and I was, for the most part, over it. But, like, as the day we got there, or the day before we got there, I lost my voice. And so I'm in a 100 by 100 ring in a loud building to begin with because it's like the Orange County Convention Center, so it's huge. I had very little voice. Mm-hmm. So if you had very little voice, how did you communicate with your dog? They do respond a lot to body language. Mm-hmm. And I believe we qualified in one course. But I know the other course, he ended up taking a wrong jump because I just couldn't call him. I tried to moat. I probably didn't motion quite correctly with my body, but I couldn't call him off of it. I'll tell you what, that reminds me, David, of a time when we were taught that our body language actually meant more than our voice commands. And so our instructor in agility years ago asked us to run the entire course without saying one word. We had to just use body language, and actually our dogs ran beautifully. Yes. Yeah, I, I firmly believe that body language is a lot of what they learn or see by, too. It's a lot of how you show them where to go. That even applies to obedience, you know. There's clearly passion, detail, and future building happening inside this episode. But it's time to take a break during the Animal Academy podcast. We'll be right back. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. The one question every podcaster needs to ask themselves is, why am I still editing my own podcast? We all know that editing your own podcast is the worst part of the podcast experience. Get the editing off your plate and reclaim more time to make more content with the Editor Core. Affordable, talented, experienced podcast editors are ready to take your podcast literally to the next level to make it soar. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. Do you like what you're hearing during this episode of the Animal Academy podcast? If so, consider having your business, organization, or effort connect with me to see how you can sponsor or be featured inside this podcast. Visit my website over at AnimalAcademyPodcast.com and let's have a conversation. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Everyone, welcome back to the Animal Academy podcast. Tonight we're talking to David Frasca, who hasn't only moved dogs around the ring, he's going places with the goals he's choosing to craft his future. David, welcome back to the Animal Academy podcast. Hi, thank you. So we were talking about some of the accomplishments that you've had and your favorite performance events. 
And you have some awesome stories to tell about, you know, your your things that happen in the ring, which are kind of, you know, I remember some of the times that were not, they were memorable. They weren't probably my best performances, but they're the ones that caused me to bond with my dogs. And it sounds like you've got some of those stories as well. Definitely. So you've also been a junior handler for the American Kennel Club and was the number one versatile American Kennel Club junior handler in a row. Congratulations. Thank you. So how do you qualify for this award? So for the versatile award, you have to, as a junior, participate in three or more sports. I participate in agility, obedience, and rally. Mm -hmm. I've done, like, Bass Cat on the side before because... It's one of the simpler things to do, not specifically for junior handler points or anything, but kind of neat title to have in your dog, and they have fun chasing a plastic bag. And since I don't have any sight hounds, I don't can't really go that deep into it. Mm-hmm. So you have to qualify, or you have to show in three sports in the qualifying year. As I said earlier, to July of said year, so July of 2018. July 1st of 2018 to June 30th of 2019. And pretty much they do it, again, like the Invitational. They do a point system. All I know off the top of my head is you get one point just for participating, even if you don't qualify in said run. I know if you qualify, you get, I don't know, three or five points, you get more. If you get a placement in the class, you get more points. And then if you get a title, I believe that's worth points. So... Pretty much you amass points in these events by doing more and then doing well. Mm-hmm. You're probably not going to get many points if you in queue every time to right. qualify. And you, it just, you keep running your dogs, doing whatever sport you like to do until June 30th of next year. And at the end, they say, well, they have leaderboards up throughout the year. You mm-hmm. can always check it. Mm-hmm. But... At the end of the year, if there are enough points, they say who the champion is. At the end of the qualifying period, if you have the most points, you win. They do the, because they have scholarships through this, they do first place. So recently they've had first place at a $3,000 scholarship, second place at a $2,000, third place at a $1,000, fourth is 500 and this place is 250 Mm-hmm. So I've gotten that a couple of years now. That's wonderful. Is that something that you strive for during the year? Do you set an intention at the year, at the beginning of the year, that that's Not your really. goal? Okay. It's really, really the only way you can set that is by improving, getting, whether it's improving yourself and the dog, well, dog, depending on how many you run, and it's just, you see how well you do by the end of the year. So do you enjoy that competition or knowing that that's a possibility to get that award? Kind of. I personally, whenever I started in agility, it's not to get like a mock. You don't have to be first place. So I never really did it in going for first place. Mm-hmm. As opposed, if you want to get, if I had started in obedience and I was trying to get notch on a dog, that would be very different because you have to place, but. I kind of started more, before you worry about places, you have to qualify. And sometimes qualifying, depending on the course, is a real challenge in itself. Yes. I used to send my dog across the wrong jump. 
because it got so complicated, and I thought I was on course. My dog knew the course because they took an opposite jump, but sometimes. But uh, that was really disappointing when I messed my dog up. Yeah, I've had that happen too. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes you try to call them over the wrong jump, and you're not realizing it, and they end up going over the right jump. Yeah, that's right. Then you realize it happens real quick, you adapt, and you move on to the next one. And that is the key right there is adapting to it. Yes. So, David, I know it's been a challenge to do much during the pandemic. How have you had to adjust when showing and training dogs during COVID? Well, I stopped showing for a while because all the trials got canceled. As a matter of fact, we had entered in a Kentucky trial, I believe. Yeah, Louisville, Kentucky. And this was long before, this was before COVID really hit the U.S. And it was March, it was a four-day trial, I think it was March 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th. I don't know for sure the days, but it was mid-March, early to mid-March. And we were out there. We had shown Thursday and Friday. And mid-Friday, we heard, this was never all the states were limiting their populations you know, 200 more, no more than how many people in a group. Mm -hmm. And the governor had said that in Kentucky. So they ended up shutting down the trial on Friday. And when we went up there, or I guess not up there, I was in Missouri. So over there, we were very safe in the hotel room. We tried to make sure we sanitized. We did all that. Nature was clean while also making sure we didn't have, like, stuff on the floor, you know, cleaning materials on the floor where the dogs might step in because Mm -hmm. that's a bad issue also. So Friday we were there. The morning we didn't think it was going to get canceled. We weren't really sure. It was always just kind of a possibility since we were there. And on Friday at some point they heard, yep, they're canceling. And they tried, the agility portion tried to, they tried to make their portion last the whole weekend because this is such a big trial. They have agility, they have confirmation, they have obedience, they have rally, they have dock diving. I mean, it's a huge, it was, wow. a, it was a state fairground. So mm-hmm. now granted that we understood why they canceled some areas that were more tight, like confirmation or obedience, but the agility trial chair tried to see if we could correct or legally do the agility portion if we stayed apart, and it didn't work. So we all went home. Have you had to um, run agility in a mask? Yes. Um, so after March, I showed in June, there was a trial that required masks in the building but did not require while you were running. We were kind of unfortunate at that my family was kind of disappointed at that, but we had already entered before they said that, and we decided, you know what, I ran my one dog, and just one dog, and my mom was the secretary at that trial, so she had to be there anyway. That's mm-hmm. really the only reason I went. So after that, a lot of around here, some places are still doing no mask required in the ring. But I was recently at a show where they were required in the ring, and it was like two weeks ago, mm-hmm. and they were required at all times in the building, and it worked just fine. Or that an obedience trial in July where it was mass required in the building at all times, no matter where you are, which is a little more, is a little better than 
agility because you're not running in a mask. And I practice in a mask anyway. I've gotten used to it. That's smart. It's pretty hot at times, especially whenever you're running a dog that is fast and you have to say a lot of things for them. Some dogs, they're fast, but they're more easygoing. They're a little... They're paying attention to you more. Some dogs, they run fast, and you've got to be on top of them. Mm -hmm. Do any of the dogs look at you with a mask on and think, who is that? Or it's because you practice with it that they get used to it? Is that right? So far, I've had... None of my dogs have looked at me like I was weird with the mask on. Maybe like a little weird, but none of them have really had a huge issue. Um, One of the dogs did pull a mask off somebody because... (laughs) It was just at agility, too. It was Sharon Winston, my agility trainer. She was my mom's golden retriever, Java, which I have almost put a rock on. She was at agility practice one day, and she was doing something with Karen's mask, and then all of a sudden it came off. (laughs) Dogs can be silly. So, David, you're finishing up in high school, right? Right. What are your plans for the future? I plan on going to engineering. I, I plan on sticking with dog showing, but I do think I've had serious thoughts about becoming a judge. That's my plan. But as a profession, I would say mechanical engineering is my plan. I think you are going to make an awesome mechanical engineer. Thank you. And you know why? Why is that? Because, I, first of all, you are very detailed. During this uh, episode, I can tell the detail in everything that you talk about. And you think ahead. You think towards your goals. And an engineer puts all the pieces together, but they have to know what that end goal is. Right. And not a lot of people have that skill, even as an adult. I'm really impressed with, with your knowledge, David. At 16. Thank you. I would like to know if you happen to have any advice to give to other young adults who are contemplating what to do with their lives. Now, I know that that's heavy and sometimes an overwhelming thought that I just said that and put that out. But as you're looking at your future, what kind of words of wisdom would you like to share to other people? Well, I usually whenever kind of applying to both areas, I whenever I'm at a dog show, if I'm having an interesting weekend, I take advice from people, whether... Some people will start to say, hey, maybe you should try this, and I always kind of take advice. See, sometimes I don't always apply the advice because I feel like not quite what I want to do, but it's always great to hear from other people whether or not you feel that way or think you're going to change or alter however they're talking about, but just to listen to them, take their advice because it may actually help. Mm -hmm. You don't think it will. Sometimes you try it out, they go, this works really well. That's really mature. And you don't have to always follow people's advice, but it sounds like you at least listen to it and then decide whether it's going to work for you. Right. Pre-COVID, I was, like you said earlier, I was showing my dog in utility, and I was having issues with the down signal. You know, how common is that? A dog fails the dog's, or how... (laughs) rare is that dog feeling the down signal Mm -hmm. and I was having issues with it and I thought man I thought that was really something we had down and someone suggested why there someone like really broke it down they said there are two reasons 
generally that a dog doesn't do the signal. It's because there's healing in front of it, they have trouble transitioning, mm-hmm. or it's because they're static as you tell them to stay and then you walk across the ring right after heal. Mm-hmm. She said pretty much there are two ways you can you can uh, find out how to do it. You can find out which one it is. One way is you heal a whole bunch and then do the signals like in practice because my border collie wasn't had any issues with downing and practice, of course. And she said, make sure or heal like four times as you normally would in signals exercise mm-hmm. before you do a signal. If she does it, great. That means the healing isn't the issue. And I did that, and that wasn't the issue. And then she said, well, if it's the static that's the issue, what I've tried before is doing a backup down. Pretty much on the down signal, they back up a little and down. Hmm. I worked that for a couple of months. It was really nice because with COVID, I got to work on it pretty well. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of time. I worked on the down, the backup and the down. I worked. She had the down really well. What was hard was I tried to use the same signal because generally what I do is I bring my hand up and back down. What I tried to do was do a push at her at the backup and my hand coming down at the down signal because she already has the down signal so well. And generally, they they take their commands as physical actions. They're not going to take a backup and down in one command. So I tried to make sure it was two commands in one arm signal because you can't get two. So I worked that backup and I worked the backup and I got it going pretty well. After a while, I had a nice back up and down. When I got into the obedience ring in July, she didn't back up, but she did the down. We ran three times that week in the utility, and all three times she got the down. She never backed up, but I mm-hmm. think the back up down helped her realize, hey, you have to do this. Wonderful. And I'll tell you what, that takes a lot of perseverance. And that's an example of breaking an obedience exercise up into little steps and also really working on problem solving. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad I worked it because I really don't, I really think that's what helps her mm-hmm. understand that, hey, when even though you're standing still, you got to go down. Mm-hmm. And uh, sure enough, that weekend she got, she passed all three times in utility. Oh, congratulations. And Thank for you. those who may not know in utility, you use all hand signals. And so you work a lot, even as when dogs are puppies, to teach them the hand signals because you can't talk to them. So when you put your hand up, that means your dog goes down and you're only given one chance. And your dog has to be watching you when you give the hand signal. So if there's a noise off to the side that draws the dog's attention to either side or whatever, the distraction is if you give your hand signal as the dog looks away, you've kind of lost that. So there's a lot to that title. Yeah, I heard a judge tell a friend. Now, I, I, I know the judge. I'm friends with her, too. And she was telling her, and utility, she was all nervous about showing utility, this friend of mine. And the judge walked up to her because she knew her, too. And he was all in good health. But she walked up to her and said, well, in utility A, there are 52 ways you can fail. <laughs> and that's what she said. And she said, well, thank you. <laughs> she got even more worried. I think she ended up passing that time too, but she walked up. She said, You know, there are 52 ways to fail. And 
utility A. Have fun with that. <laughs> oh yes. So that's nerve wracking, but it, it tell you know you you've gotten a utility title on your dog, and you know what you know. It's hard work, but it pays off. Yes. David, I'm going to share a comment as I was talking to some of my other dog friends about my podcast, and you know they asked me who the who the next guests are going to be, and I mentioned your name, and one of your friends, Ginger Kenyon, happened to say, "Oh, David, I guess she was one of your teachers, right?" Yes. And she said her words would be, he's one of my best students, such a remarkable person who means a lot to her. So I thought I would share that. That's good to hear. Yeah. So it sounds like you've done a lot for a lot of people, David, and that's appreciated. That's good. Yeah, I started obedience with Ginger Kenyon, and pretty much wouldn't be where I am without her. Yeah. Well, she appreciates all the hard work that you've done and your friendship. So, I too. so, David, I've really enjoyed our conversation today, and I wish you well in everything that you're doing. You're going to make a remarkable engineer if that's, if that's the field that you decide to go into, and keep up the good work and everything that you're doing. Thank you very much. The world of dog training and showing is detailed. The world of dog training and showing is growing. The world of dog training and showing is getting younger in David. Well, David is another shining star, an example of what not only grows performance dogs who have been trained and shown well, but also of the future of the industry that continues to make a difference. Trust and appreciation carries a personal long way, and we cannot wait to see where David's experience, perseverance, and passion takes him. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Animal Academy podcast. Detailed contact information and links for each of the guests and resources provided inside this episode can be found at my website, animalacademypodcast.com. I'm Allison White, licensed clinical social worker specializing in the human-animal connection. Let's share and learn from the animals in the next episode of the Animal Academy Podcast.